Hey, it's your girl Sierra here. Just wanted to give a quick heads up that we had a few technical difficulties during the recording with Bobby Allen, but it was such a great conversation that we didn't want to keep it from you. So if we're keeping score, let's just say Wi-Fi one interface crew zero, but we're all on the learning journey here, right? So we hope you enjoy the conversation and on with the show. Maddie, cue the music right here. Yeah, let's go. Welcome to Interface, a podcast where we connect technology and culture through conversation. Interface is brought to you by Empower, an employee resource group dedicated to attracting, developing, and retaining Black talent and pros. Pros helps people and companies outperform by enabling smarter selling in the digital economy. I'm your host, Jennifer Plummer. I am really happy to welcome Bobby Allen to Interface today. Bobby Allen is a cloud therapist for Google, which I want to get into what that means because it's just an awesome title. Hey, Bobby, thank you for joining us. Hi, Jenny. Thank you for having me on. Welcome to the rest of the Interface team. I am blessed to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm also joined by Sierra and Matthew. Maddie Cakes, <laughs> we like to call him. So, um, Bobby, tell us a little bit about how you came to be a cloud therapist, you know, your history as a technologist. So after, after grad school, Jenny, I went to kind of the traditional corporate route. I worked for Intel for several years. I worked for Bank of America for several years. I'd actually did part of the Bank of America Merrill Lynch data conversion. When those two firms merged, I had to bring it all together because the SEC was like, we need to see how bad this is. So you let us know how, how big the mess is. And then around that time, a buddy actually pulled me into the world of cloud computing. So I've been doing cloud computing startups from 2012 up to joining Google a couple months ago. And that was just addictive. Like getting to the point where you can be the point person on helping your company win a brand new account. I remember the mm -hmm. CEO calling me because we were trying to win GE as a big logo. And he said, look, you're the quarterback for this. You tell me what you need. We have to have this. And uh -huh. so after I helped us win GE, Best Buy, and Booz Allen, we got acquired. So out of the three startups, two of the three got acquired. One got acquired for $220 million or so. And then the last one, Turbonomic, got acquired for $2 billion by IBM. And so it gave me a taste of like, this is really cool when you can do something interesting and see a company that can get acquired or that can IPO. So that was kind of my path. And then Google came about because I actually met a black woman on Twitter who connected me with the company, never met her in person, but she just felt like we were very like-minded. We started talking and she connected me with an opportunity at Google that I feel like I'm made for. And so Google lets me kind of make up my own title. So I call myself a cloud therapist because in cloud and in tech, we're making up a lot of stuff as we go along. I think it's just more honest to just own it that way way. So then I get to define it. And I call myself a cloud therapist team because when I get there, I need to acknowledge humbly, there's a lot of good and bad stuff that happened before I showed up. And a lot of transformation projects almost invoke PTSD from all the bad things that happened before. People that set expectations way too high, over-promised, under-delivered. So the first thing I want to do is listen. If you need to lay on the couch or play some nice music while I'm there listening, that's kind of thing number one. But then number two, I want to earn the right to not just tell you what you want to hear, but what you need to know. I love that making up as you go along. I think I've said that several times to people and sometimes they get it. Sometimes they're like, what? And I'm like, we're just going to see what happens. We're going to try this. And if this doesn't work, we'll try something else. Okay. So can you go into more detail about what you do on a daily basis? 
for those sure. that aren't familiar with product management. Sure. So my official title outside of the cloud therapist thing that I made up is I'm what's called a senior outbound product manager at Google. And what that means is a traditional product manager is more inside out. They're focused on working with engineering, launching services, building product. Outbound product managers are more outside in, very focused on analysts, the tech community, customers. How do we make sure that things that we're building are relevant for the community and that we get that feedback back into Google so we're not just an echo chamber thinking that everything we build is great? How do we make sure that it's resonating and landing with customers? So a traditional PM is going to launch a product and outbound product manager tries to land a product and make sure that we're delivering value to people outside of the company. So on a day-to-day -day basis, that could look like talking to customers, doing analyst briefings, doing videos, writing blogs, doing enablement and training for the field, just consulting with people that want to know about cloud strategy. And so my particular portion of the company is the go-to-market product managers that help with modernizing applications or who rolls up to me. That's my team. So when people are thinking about containers and serverless and CICD and a lot of that cool glamour stuff we like to talk about, those are the people that are on my team. I say they report to me, but they don't work for me. I work for them is the way I think about it. I'm yeah. big on servant leadership. And so my biggest thing is to get roadblocks out of their way, but we work together. That's, that's my squad that I roll with at Google. That's awesome. You also have a lot of words of wisdom on your LinkedIn. I was looking, I think another one that I saw was how you can't learn everything. Like there's not enough time in the day to get into that. Mm -hmm. So is that kind of relevant? Like, how are you getting up to speed at Google? Yeah, I tell people I'm just drowning gracefully there. Honestly, Jenny, there are a lot of smart people there. There's a lot of good information coming my way. And uh, let me let me rewind a little bit back to grad school. So when I was in grad school with my wife, went through school with my wife, got married, went off to grad school in class and Michigan engineering does everything on a curve. So if I do better, she has to do worse and vice versa. And part of what helped us get through was Frazier and Seinfeld. Don't judge me. It worked. <laughs> And so I love Seinfeld's kind of observational comedy because he's just kind of making observations about life. And so three times on social media each week, Jenny, I typically do a marriage Monday, a Wednesday wisdom and a Thursday thought. I don't call it advice. I call it Bobbyisms or observations. Learn from my mistakes. Uh -huh. So one of those observations was I can't do it all. I can't know it all. I can't learn it all. And being honest about that up front is one of the biggest things that helps people understand that I can't do everything. I just can't. I've got to pick my spot. I've got to prioritize and I've got to be okay with the fact that I'm not going to get to everything that I want to do, which is actually a good problem to have because it means that you're in a job, in a role, that you're going to be able to learn something new every day. That's exactly where most of us have hoped to be. So I'm thankful that's my story so far. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely really, the team I'm on right now is kind of ramp up in, you know, skills and technology and a lot of terms that I've heard, but I haven't had a lot of experience working with one-on-one. -on -one. And the first and foremost, as their manager, I'm just trying to be like, what can I do to help you? You know, just kind of go back to the old safeties is, you know, let's, let's organize our priorities. You know, are you working on what's important? Don't worry about the stuff that's not important and kind of getting through that. So it's, it's nice to have those kind of standbys. Agreed. So for others that might be wanting to get into product management or therapy, cloud therapy, mm -hmm. uh -huh. <laughs> what are some of the things that they could work on to get into that field? So I need to make an admission to your audience, Jenny. So I know this is going to seem odd, but I'm just all about making it plain. So I'm a senior outbound product manager at Google, have a team that rolls up to me. I've never been a product manager before and actually had very little experience with Google Cloud, if you can believe that. So that was kind of my first one-on-one -on -one with my team. And they were like, wow, you actually told us that? I'm like, look, we can't start <laughs> off a relationship where I'm not telling you the truth. But here's my message to your audience. Be confident about what you have done and focus on connecting that story to what you want to do. 
And so I haven't been a product manager, but I've been a CTO. I've been an engagement lead. I've been a project manager, a program manager. A lot of the things that are kind of orthogonal or adjacent to product management, I have a lot of the skill set. But in reality, as a manager, it's not my job to be a better product manager than, than people that report to me. I need to understand enough about what they're doing to support them and to see how I come alongside. But what I would say is I know cloud. I didn't know Google Cloud well, and I didn't know product management as kind of a defined discipline well. I was super transparent transparent about that in my interview. And Google is kind of getting behind my transparency because what we're doing is I'm doing a whole learning series of videos where Google Cloud is following me on LinkedIn and on Twitter and promoting the videos that I'm doing about like, hey, come with Bobby, you know, in his cloud corners, he's showing you about the world of Google Cloud. That's what I want to do to make it accessible. So I think those things that you haven't done can be a strength if you can kind of tie it into a larger narrative. My thing was, I know cloud, I don't know Google Cloud yet, but I want to kind of present that constructive criticism as someone who's not drinking the Kool-Aid yet about how we can improve and they bought it. So I guess I spun it well enough. They went for that. I think that goes back to the PTSD as well, because you kind of want to refresh a team every so often, right? You, yes. you need the experience, but at the same time, it can get stale and maybe not open to new ideas if you don't kind of have someone that's kind of had a different background or a different path to understand or vision what's kind of, you know, what's the next steps we need to take. Agreed. I think if we could expand on that a little bit more, Jenny, one of the things that I hope your audience considers is we focus so much on tech and on like tooling and skills. Like you would never tell a carpenter because you haven't used a Dewalt drill before, you can't build something. A right. tool is only as good as the hands of the craftsman that it's in. And in technology, we have to remember that a lot of the cool things we're doing are just tools. And so what I find is actually more important than the tooling are the questions. I want to make sure that I'm hiring people and working with people that are asking good questions because most of the time, better tools help us get faster answers and better results, but better questions is usually the real problem. So we're right. not asking the right things up front. And I want people that are going to challenge the status quo and to say, hey, why are we doing this again? Because that's honestly what helps us unpack our motivation and decide like, you know what? We have been doing that the same way forever. I don't know why we're doing that either. Yeah, that makes me think of Matthew here who's working on asking the right questions. So he's working on a presentation for an internal TED Talk on that. So Nice. I have a question for you, Bobby. Sure. So you've been doing this clearly for a while now, and I'm interested in knowing sort of, you know, what kind of student were you? Have you always been this person who asked the right questions? Were you the person who is, I need to do everything. If I'm not doing everything, there's no way that I can be successful. Mm. How have you grown into this role in the Bobby of today? That's a great question, Sierra. So I'm going to give you something that's an answer that might be a little bit di different for your audience. So one of my Bobbyisms is I, I got to give a lot of credit to my wife. She's really helped me become a lot of the person that I've become today. And I try to tell a lot of the guys that I mentor, one of the biggest problems that men have, especially in technology, is that you don't listen to advice that comes in a package that's different than you expect. So here's my advice for the audience. Listening to your wife doesn't make you less of a man, but not listening to your wife may make you a less successful man. And there are some very specific things that I've picked up from my wife over the years, who's a technologist, but also works in sales as a real estate agent. And we have very interesting, constructively critical conversations around things. And so my wife was really the person that was supporting me when I was working at Bank of America, but said, there's more out there for you. I know you can do more. I believe in what you're doing, but this is not the best platform for you. 
that's a lot of what pushed me to be able to do that. And so, you know, coming up in grad school, like I was smart, I had good grades, kind of felt like I wanted to do something technical one day. I, I didn't know that I was going to go into cloud computing. Obviously that didn't exist then, but I was exposed to a lot of things that did pique my curiosity. I grew up up the street from Goddard Space Flight Center. So I used to walk down the street, I interned there. I saw people that were doing big things. And part of what it helped me realize, Sierra, is that the people that work at those places aren't any smarter than me. They have opportunities that maybe I haven't been given, but if I get a chance to come in there, I'm a killer. If you give me a crack, I'm going to bust that door open and try to be so excellent that you can't put me out. And so that was something that was giving me the platform, like be humble, but be unashamedly excellent. If you get a chance to do something, you go in there. And even if you've been the first black or brown person that's been in that conversation, you'd be so excellent that you set the bar differently. And so that was kind of my mindset growing up. My wife just helped me tweak a lot of that. And in terms of like, you can do more, there's other things out there. So she's a big part of pushing me and supporting me along the way. You said so much there. I am married. I've been married for 13 years and I have similar conversations with my husband. I tell him that all the time. I'm like, you're one of the most brilliant people that I've ever met. I'm constantly learning from him and I push him to get out of your comfort zone. You're so much greater than what you're doing now. And it's frustrating sometimes as a wife because someone else can tell him the same thing. And he's like, oh yeah, so-and-so told me blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, I said that two weeks ago. So <laughs> See, it's it's a great point, and let, let's let's actually segue there for a second. I want to give your audience what I call career change management. So there's a mentor of mine who told me this when it was time for me to leave Bank of America. This is part of the push that I needed to kind of leave and go do different things in the startup world. And I'm paraphrasing some of what we talked about just to kind of package it. But essentially, there are three things that you can change. You can change your residence, where you live, where your family's situated. You can change your role, what you're doing, and you can change your relationships who you do that with. Changing one of those is doable. Changing two of those is difficult. Changing three of those is dangerous. And so some of what you have to look at is if I want to be, for example, maybe I'm a developer at company A and I want to be a product manager at company B, either go be a developer at company B, right, to change that one thing or become a product manager at company A and then become a product manager at company B. You're changing one thing at a time. So from a change management perspective, you can handle that. You're a little bit outside of your comfort zone, but you're still building on things where you're strong. Now, I don't recommend new industry, pick up and move your family across the country and nobody that you've ever worked with ever, white piece of paper, everything's brand new. That is stressful. But if you're changing one to two things at a time, you can handle that. I love that advice. Awesome. I want to talk also a little bit about being humble because as I mentioned earlier, I am church girl from as far as I can remember. And in church, they teach you, you know, church is of course the pinnacle of black culture, right? And they teach you about being humble and not really speaking up for yourself. You know, you go and do what I tell you to do. Don't ask me questions. And so have you ever been faced with battling that in your life or have someone on your team? who you know they've got the goods but they won't open up and you know ask the questions or do the thing or as we say step out on faith <laughs> and trust themselves to tackle a task that's an excellent question, Sarah. I'm going to try to break that apart a little bit. So first, for the individuals that are listening who may also be believers, I'm a pastor outside of being a Googler. I actually pastor a multicultural church in the South. So if you can believe that in Charlotte, half and half black and white, there are several white families that have adopted black kids. We love the diversity, diverse leadership. The lead pastor is black. I'm the stewardship pastor and I'm on the preaching team. 
And one of the things that's interesting that I try to free our church up from is sometimes people take advantage of folks like, oh, you're a believer, shouldn't be about money. It's not about money, but I'm not here saving lives every day. This is not the Red Cross. I'm here to get paid. I'm here to be a stone cold killer to redeem that money for the kingdom of God. So I'm going to get everything that I can fairly without stepping on people, but I'm also worth what I'm earning. And so people do need to know their worth, number one. And I think part of how we get back to other people is you affirm other folks. So let me say a word specifically to, especially for the guy and the ones that want to be allies, one of the biggest things you can do for the black women and the underrepresented groups in your life, you ready for this? Tell them what you make. Because we have so many people that are underpaid that don't know what's possible. And so for your audience, if they don't know, take a look at websites and apps like Blind. Take a look at websites like Levels at FYI, I believe, that talk about transparently what different people make. That's one of the ways that we can kind of push people like, you know what? You're not worth this. You're worth this. Because the data in the industry tells you that. I want to see more people that are willing to, you know, not blasting it on Twitter or whatever, but like pulling somebody aside to say, you know what? This is what you should be making. Because if you're someone who's, again, an underrepresented group in technology, you don't know what you're supposed to be making. And if you start off being underpaid, you're going to continue being underpaid and you're going to doubt yourself. You're going to not level up the way you're supposed to pick one person and tell them what you make, where you think they should be and help them get it. I love that. Being able to advocate for someone. And as you mentioned, sort of being open, don't hold everything back to yourself. It's always pay it forward, especially if you know somebody who's got the goods. Why not share it and encourage that person? Like you got this you're worth it and stand in that and you know be proud of everything that you've accomplished Absolutely. so i love that so bobby mm-hmm. what do you think that companies can do to help bring more black talent to you know what programs can they implement to cast a wider net for people of color coming into tech and specifically black talent Oof. all right I, you all probably don't want to hear this but i'm going to be opinionated because you asked me so one thing is it's not a pipeline problem and most of the time when we talk about bringing more black folks into technology we're always starting at okay let's run this college program which is what you're saying is you're slapping all the people in the face that have been working in industry for the past 20 to 30 years. If you want to have more black people at your company, you need more black leaders, not just more black interns and graduates. If someone comes to that company and they don't see anyone that looks like them higher up in the org chart, then they're saying either they're not sticking around or you're not promoting us. People need to have executives and mentors and champions and managers, people with decision-making and hiring authority that look like that. If they don't see that, they won't stick around. And so I want to challenge a lot of the companies out there. Don't just hire interns, hire them too, hire new graduates too, but be looking for leaders that are seasoned veterans, 20, 30 years of experience. You need to have some of them too. And if you don't have ones that are sticking around in your organization, you need to ask why. Part of that is because you're not paying them. Part of that is because you're not giving them promotion opportunities. Part of that is because you're not giving them sponsorship. If they're there and they've been contributing, right? Unfortunately, in a lot of companies, especially when folks are underpaid, I'm going to go there for a second. What a lot of companies do, if there's a black woman who's underpaid, she has to leave and come back for her salary to get adjusted. That is trash. If you know that she's underpaid, HR has the data, y'all fix it. Fix it, make it right, and continue to allow them to progress up through the company. That's part of how we fix this. Black people are frustrated because we've been here for a long time. And a lot of folks, you know, there's this overnight success thing is overrated. People that are overnight success has been grinding for 20 years behind the scenes. No such thing as overnight success. (laughs) Exactly. Recognize those people that have been there putting in the work because what happens is it looks hypocritical. When you bring in new people, you bring in a hundred new grads. Why aren't there any people two and three and four levels above me? And where are the EVPs and the SVPs that look like me? Because if none of them are there, why am I being like, this is not the civil rights movement in the fifties in Alabama. This is 2021 and companies are not investing in black leaders and especially black women leaders. That's what we need to see to make this be different. You are 
are singing to Jennifer right now. That is her big fight on the day-to-day -day at here at Pros. She's a champion for diversity and for making sure that we're, like you said, not just recruiting at the intern level, but let's talk, where are our mid-professionals, our executive, where are our recruiting efforts in that area to bring more people of color into the organization? Yeah, and I think what leaders don't realize is how much that matters to people. I don't know if other people play this game, but I play that. I'm going to count how many Black people I see in the room where I'm at. And if I'm choosing where I'm going to take my career next and I see that something, you know, seems a little more inviting or seeing people that look like me in roles that I aspire to be in, then I'm naturally going to gravitate that way. Mm -hmm. Where maybe leadership doesn't realize, oh, like, well, you know, anyone has an opportunity to be successful here. Yeah. But if I don't see it, then I'm probably going to go somewhere else. We should consider that when they're coming up with whatever programs they want to come up with to develop leaders, to attract more talent to their companies, that, that's, that's something that should be part of the strategy. I agree. I agree. I, I think two, two particular things I recommend. So one, when I look at the diversity of a company, I look at how many people are at the executive table, C-suite, and in the boardroom. If, if, if you're bringing other people into the company, but everybody around that table is the same demographic, typically middle-aged to older white man, then you don't really have change. You need to, so I'm going to say it, right? If companies want to change, the traditional groups need to give up some power because you need to give up some of those seats at the, at the leadership and decision-making authority table. Because if you don't have diversity in leadership, you don't have real diversity. You really don't. Number one. Number two, Again, I, I want to just be specific. I'm not trying to be cold. If you're if you're a, a company that's mostly led by white people, listen to black people when they tell you how to invest in black people. So I'll give you a specific one, right? So Jenny and I came out of a program at UMBC called the Myerhoff Program. Myerhoff Program has two claims of fame. Number one, we were the first 16 seed on the men's side to knock out a number one seed. We knocked out UVA and then UVA won the next year. Great story. <laughs> Well, number two, UMBC has also produced the most black PhDs in school. <laughs> now watch this. A lot of the companies that are throwing money only throw money at HBCUs, as opposed to this is a program at a majority white school with a black president, Freeman Rabowski. If you Google him or look at him on Wikipedia, the man's a monster. He's a beast and he's retiring this year. If you want to pour gasoline on a fire that's already blazing, pour into things like the model program, because watch this. Mark Zuckerberg and his wife, Chan Zuckerberg, is copying the Meyerhoff program at other schools. So they're funding this model to replicate it in other places. So why wouldn't you just fund the original? If you're a company out there, consider partnering with the Meyerhoff program because you're talking people that have, if you're talking the best concentration of advanced degrees in STEM for women and minorities, there's no better place in the country to start than there. But because it's not a black school, which support them too, but listen to black people who are telling you how to fix the problem. You know what? First of all, I say that Black people, we are magical. That's not a cliche to me. I just, that's just who we are. We do amazing things. And it's amazing to me that other people will copy exactly what we do and replicate it and monetize that thing instead of just paying the Black person who came up with it to help you do what you want. Why not just pay me? Why Why you want to copy me? I think that has held us back for so long, but... We finally have a voice. Our voice is being heard in ways that we haven't had before. And that's just always been a frustrating thing. You don't have to copy me. I'm happy to help you, but also pay me and give me credit where credit is due. 
Exactly. I agree 100%. We need to we need to partner with things that are already working. I mean, I think about this like if we think about I watch Shark Tank a lot and my my kids are very competitive so there's a lot of Shark Tank and tennis on in my house cuz they both play tennis. And on Shark Tank, the investors on there don't want to help you figure it out. They want to pour money on something that's already working, right? They want to invest in something that's already kind of figured it out that just needs kind of a booster to to help it go further. We need to think about that. If there are programs that are working, number one, we should pour into that. Number two, all the smart, let, let me be real specific for a second. If you look at companies that are trying to increase hiring, you can't do all of that on the West Coast. The percentages, for example, of black folks in the Bay Area isn't but 17% total. If you got all of the black people out there, you're not gonna move the needle on the numbers. You have to actually, if, if you're some of those fame companies, for example, you have to go to the East Coast and the Midwest, you have to diversify where you're looking to find other people to go outside of that demographic. You can't just do the same thing you've done before. We can't find a lot of black people in Seattle and San Francisco. Well, okay, Captain Obvious, big surprise. I remember we were talking before the podcast started. I used to live in Oregon of all places. And I still remember y'all, when my wife and I picked up and drove out to Oregon, my great grandmother said to me specifically, I'm not making this up. She said, baby, there's no black people in Oregon. And I said, well, grandma, I'm taking one with me. And my wife is coming. So now there's two. Okay, baby, just making sure you know. But like every time I would talk to my family in the DC area, they'd be like, what time is it out there? Just to be a little facetious, there are a lot of black people know that there's California and Canada and something in the middle. Yeah. We don't go to the Pacific. So my, my point about all this is if you want to embrace black people being a part of your company, you can't only do that in Silicon Valley and in the Pacific Northwest. You've got to diversify where you are. Go to the East Coast, go to Texas, go to the Midwest. If you want a diverse workforce, you can't just dictate your preferences to people. You've got to be able to flex a little. Yeah, and I think pros has learned as well. We're located in Houston and we do a lot of recruitment at Rice and University, which are great right, universities, but now we're kind of trying to broaden that and say, hey, let's reach out to see what other talent we can find in other places around the country. And for us, this is a smaller company. It's more difficult because I don't know if you know how many people Google hires every year, but ours could probably be counted, especially in the products part, maybe 10, like handful of people. So it's kind of harder to roll out these bigger diversity strategies or hiring strategies to kind of think about it because everyone's like, well, this is my one chance to find someone. But I think we're going to learn and we're going to develop a better strategy of finding people. Jenny, I think if I could just piggyback on some of that a little bit. The other challenge, too, is that diversity and excellence are not mutually exclusive. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Like looking oh, yes. for a diverse candidate means that you're lowering the bar. No, because no. here's the reality, right? If you think about all the stuff that Black people have had to deal with to get to that level. The Black people that have gotten through college, gotten through grad school, been in the industry, they're usually not just good, they're usually excellent. And they've often had to report to people that were mediocre. So yeah. don't assume that the bar is lower because you're bringing in someone who doesn't right. look like you. Often they're ready to kill it if they get right. the kind of you get the opportunity. They don't have to worry about the knife in their back. And that goes back to you saying, oh, I'm in a product management role today, but I have never had that role. But that doesn't mean you can't do it. Obviously, everybody's experience towards what they're doing. So let's find intelligent people who are asking the right questions. They know how to use the tool. Who are these craftsmen? And let's find those people and bring them in. And right now, I think the problem is, okay, in Silicon Valley, the 17% of people are Black. So like we've, we've tapped that resource. We need to find the new resources and find those people. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think the other dilemma that we have is, you know, people have bias. 
just because of who they've been exposed to, right? Some of these folks, I'm going to say something really strong. I don't want to offend anybody, but we're putting people in charge of diversity at a corporate level who don't have any diversity on a personal level. So you don't have anybody over your house that doesn't look like you for dinner. You don't worship with anybody. You don't play sports with anybody, but you're in charge of diversity at work. We don't let anybody else do stuff because they're interested in it. You don't get to be a chief marketing officer because you have an interest in it. You do it because you have proficiency in that thing. But when it comes to DE&I and diversity and HR in some cases, because you have an interest in it, we put you in charge of stuff. That that's not that's not a good look. We need to have people that are experienced at bringing different folks together who are good at combating bias and realize, for example, one thing that I see is that black people, black women especially, are hired because of what's on their resume. White people are often hired because of potential. And the reality is that sometimes all of those folks are just in need of a chance. I've seen people get hired into cloud roles that could not spell cloud, <laughs> didn't know what cloud was. And then I've seen other black women for example, that had like nine out of 10 qualifications and doubted themselves because they never had someone invest in them. It was always, yeah. well, you don't have X, Y, and Z, as opposed and, to, I, I can just wing it and figure it out. And I'd also add to that, there's a little bit of imposter syndrome that goes into where having a supportive program like the Meyerhoff program, I felt like I could conquer the world right when I came out of the Meyerhoff program, but everybody doesn't have that support system. So also having people in your court be like, you can do this. You don't need to check off, you know, every right. single thing on that job description. If you think you can do it, if you're interested in doing it, if you're excited about it, go do it. it you know, you, you have, you have your wife to kind of do that for you. People need to find who, who their, their community is to, to uplift them so that they can achieve more things than they thought was possible. I think another thing can also be having people make them feel comfortable with, I don't need to check every single box to know that I can potentially be great at this thing. And I know that's something that I have struggled with early in my career is thinking I need to have, and I don't know what the statistic is. I've heard, you know, that women, if they don't have, you know, 90% of everything that's on the job description, they won't even go out and apply. Whereas a male, right. they've got 30% or maybe none of it. And they're like, to go ahead and, and, and you know see if, right. if they'll hire me for this right. and i think just being in an environment where you have leaders who are constantly pouring into you and reassuring you that you can do this and also if you're interested in this let me create opportunities for you to go and try that thing out i think a lot of it also in, in black culture is just being exposed building programs where you're opening the doors to people who to, you know kids or whomever to say I know you may not have ever seen this, but this is out here. You should explore this. This is the possibilities that you could have. And I think a lot of that will contribute to also bringing more people, not just into the tech industry, but, but all industries. And you walking in the door knowing, oh, I know what I can do here and I'm up for the challenge. It's creating those opportunities for people to step into those roles and to be able to flourish. Representation absolutely matters, Sierra. And I think part of it is when you haven't seen someone who looks like you that contributes a lot to imposter syndrome. So I remember years ago, my daughter was struggling in math a little bit and we ended up watching Hidden Figures that weekend. And in my house, when I ask my kids if they're ready, especially for a science or math test, is that you have a good chance to get an A, but you have a chance to get a hundred. And I remember talking to my daughter after we watched Hidden Figures, I said, baby, you ready for this math test? I know you can do it, but what do you think? She said, dad, I'm gonna rock that test like I'm Katherine Johnson. <laughs> 
And so seeing seeing that black woman who was like helping put people on the moon and then outer space and bring them back, she saw herself in that character. And that's a lot of what's missing at times. Yeah. Earlier point, when you don't see black leaders who look like you in the organization, do you see yourself progressing? Do you see yourself getting promoted? Do you see yourself working at those companies? And I want to even for the audience in my network, I'm one of the only people that people even know that works at Google. And I'm the one telling people, yes, Google is a company of brilliant people. It's a great company culturally. I love a lot of the things I'm exposed to there, but you can do this too. They don't only hire smart people that look like this in a certain area. They're they're opening the kimono now to look at folks all over the country. I live in Charlotte. I'm working from Charlotte, not in Silicon Valley. I didn't have to move out West. I'm doing this from what I call Silicon South. And I tell people that because in Charlotte, we're not just country bunkers sitting on tractors. We do talk about tech stuff and then we go to Bojangles after that. Hey, so, no, we're the Silicon South in Houston. You can't, <laughs> you can't do that. that I, I'll, I'll give you that. But, but the point is there, there, there are pockets of talented people outside of Silicon Valley in the Pacific Northwest. But I'm just, I'm encouraging people like you can do this and I will help you. There yeah. are there are talented folks that may not have seen it before because I've had so many people in my network that don't even think they're they're qualified to even apply to something like a Google. And, and that's why I'm sharing my story. I didn't have every qualification before. I didn't have every box checked. And this is for someone who's been doing cloud computing since 2012 and had two startups get acquired. I was doubting myself. But again, there was a black woman who I met on Twitter who believed in me who said, I'm going to help you do this. And I want to do the same for other people. That's awesome. So is there anything you would like, uh, how, you know, how can people get in touch with you or what's the best medium for people to reach out to you? Yeah, the best medium is either LinkedIn or Twitter. Social media has a lot of crazy stuff, but it also has some phenomenal networking. I'm going to give a little bit of a plug for Twitter here because I feel like Twitter is some of the best networking in the world. You get to talk to people there, leaders, CEOs of companies, board folks. If I gave you names of some of the folks that I talked to on Twitter, you'd be shocked. So I would say, so you can get at me on Twitter. I'm, I'm B. Allen underscore CLT, think Ballin and Charlotte. And then I'm similar on, uh, on LinkedIn. But I've also got a website, bobbyjallen.me. That's kind of like my online resume. A lot of my Bobbyisms are up there. A lot of the media stuff that I've done is up there, snippets of my writing. So it's real easy to kind of know who I am. But that's, I'm, I'm super simple, Jenny. I won't give out my email address because I won't give, I won't have a chance to respond to everybody. But if there's something that I can do to help you, honestly, hit me on LinkedIn, hit me on Twitter, send something through my website. I love giving back to people. And I love just trying to let folks know that I'm all about lifting as I climb. And I'm all about, to me, the best mentors are not ones that are at the top of the mountain that are done. They're saying, watch me climb, watch me bleed, watch me stumble. I'm maybe a little bit ahead of you on the mountain, but I'm still climbing too. And that's what I try to do as a pastor to my church. I've told them, you all are going to see me struggle being a father, being a husband, working in technology. I'm going through some of the same things you are. So I preached this past Sunday. I was in Seattle for a business trip last week. I'm working on the sermon in airports and in the hotel after working all day. I'm dealing with some of the same things that people are. But the most important thing that I want folks to understand is I've got to struggle with what does it look like to be a father first and to be a husband first, because I'm my kid's father and my wife's husband before I'm a pastor. And so prioritizing things is huge for everybody. We all are going to have more in front of us than we have time to do, but share your process with you. Share yeah. how you work out, how to do different things, how you prioritize your time, give back to someone. It's not saying you're perfect. What you're saying is someone said a, a foolish person doesn't learn from their mistakes. A smart person does learn from their mistakes, but a wise person learns from someone else's. If you can find that person's willing to be transparent and kind of tell you what they've done, 
and where things have gone south. Learn from that. That's how you level up in tech and in life. And that's part of how we make things better for those around us. Thank you, Bobby. I love that. You've been, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I mean, we should talk more. I've, this has just been great. <laughs> I was telling someone else, I really just devised this podcast so I get to talk to people more often. <laughs> so thank you so much. For our wrap up, what we like to do is a heat check and just kind of share something that's been going on. Maybe shout out to someone we know or an article we've been read or maybe we attended a conference or something like that. Is there is there a heat check you'd like to share with us today? I guess the heat check I would share is just, just in general. So I talked about being new to Google. If there are any of your listeners that are new to cloud, so you're going to see videos that I'm putting out there for folks that have never done anything in cloud before. If this is something you're interested in, share it, like it, watch it. I want to make cloud accessible for people. And part of why I want to do that, and we didn't talk about this before, but part of why I want to do that is because when folks get to work at fan companies and get to work at places with equity, you're talking about things that can change the course of your life and your family's life. I want to see more Black folks and women get to work at the Facebooks and the Googles and the Amazons of the world. And so I want to share the videos as I'm documenting my learning journey so people can kind of come along with us. Honestly, for a lot of people, for less than the cost of a pair of Jordans, you can get a certification and get on that track. Absolutely. In, in, in three to six months, if you invest, you know, a couple times a week learning some of these videos, there's so many things out there. This is accessible, y'all. So I want the audience to kind of get that. If you want to change your life, I, I'll give you this, this anecdote. There's a woman that I met in, in Charlotte before. She was, a, she was living in a homeless shelter in D.C., single mother. She taught herself how to program on YouTube and works at a fan company now. I won't, I won't mention which one because I, I don't want to share her story, but mm -hmm. phenomenal, phenomenal woman. Has never been to college before. Totally awesome. self-taught, hustling, grinding, getting at it on YouTube. I mean, she's phenomenal. I've met her in person. She's a real person. I'm not making this up. I love that. The fact that you can go online and level up and learn stuff where your wallet is not limiting, which you can learn. YouTube especially is one of the things that I love about being at Google. They're making knowledge accessible like never before. Uh, yeah, that's. I think that's what I love about my career. It's just every five years is a little bit different. Yeah. And if you, you know, if you dedicate some time, you you can jump in. You can jump in somewhere. You'll find your niche. You know, if it's cloud computing, if it's security, if it's you know programming, if it's uh, user interfaces, that's good. That'll segue to my heat check. This past Sunday, I judged the University of Houston Hackathon, mm. and that was just a really rewarding experience. The older I get, I'm like, oh, these kids are so sweet. Those are ideas. I don't know what the criteria is. I don't think you need to be a University of Houston student, or yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't know if you need to be a college student, but most of the, the participants were in their first or second year of school. Mm. There was a couple of prompts, and, and they all kind of came up with great ideas. And for me, it was a learning experience because it was like a whirlwind judging. There was like 12 teams who got to present for five minutes and then judges got two minutes to ask questions. And then we had like 30 seconds to submit a form and then on to the next one. And I just wanted to spend more time with them. And because almost all of them were like, I'm just learning. I don't know JavaScript. I'm just learning this. This didn't quite work the way I wanted to, but this was the idea. And I just want to be like, yeah, I'm more interested in the idea, you know, spend 
three minutes on this was the concept you go sketch out what you want to be and then maybe spend one minute on the demo of what you came up because it's like 24 hours they have to do but i really really enjoyed that experience and i would love to do it again so yeah that was fun sierra do you have a heat check i do mine is a little bit different from what you both said but i wanted to talk a little bit about the big social media outage that happened a couple of days ago with facebook was it facebook instagram and whatsapp Mm -hmm. and i was listening to a podcast and they were talking about the whistleblower that came forward and they were like, Facebook is doing this and Facebook is doing that. And there was an interesting perspective of while, yes, you can talk about the engine of Facebook, but Facebook is run by people and so much control. People are so addicted to these platforms. And while you're trying to get your money and hustle and you got your ads and you've got all these people fueling the machine, it gets to a point of being ethical about what you're putting out there, this algorithm that's feeding all this information, we got to start holding people accountable about how we're using these platforms and in the grind of getting, you know, secure in the bag, as they say, you're really hurting people with some of the information that you're allowing to be put out there. And so I just thought that was an interesting perspective is not to forget that these big engines, it's the people who are making the decisions to say, yeah, continue to let that go through. We need to keep people on this app. Keep pushing that. Don't change anything. Those people are the ones who need to be held accountable and we can spend that to talk about the diversity conversation is making sure that the people making the decisions are doing it for the greater good and it's not just about filling your pocket and being greedy basically um, and thinking about who you're hurting in the process i agree sierra but i I do want to give a little bit of a contrasting opinion i think our expectations of companies like facebook are too high and our expectations of people are too low people still need to be kind And part of what's happening is people are being intellectually lazy and letting someone else tell them something that just justifies them being nasty to people. I agree with Mm that. You Mm -hmm. need to be kind no matter what, regardless of whether you read it on the website or not. The the thing that, and we we didn't even get to talk about this, but I do want to make this plug. One of the biggest things that we are not able to do is to disagree with someone's concept or thought without treating them like trash. Yes. You have to be able to disagree and still remember the humanity of that person and treat them like a real human being. I absolutely agree with that. Bobby, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to our listeners. I hope you enjoyed this. We'll have you know, links in the, for all the things we mentioned today in our show notes. And we're looking forward to listening to you again. Please go out there and have your own conversations. I think that's what's important is just keep talking about this stuff, keep it fresh, and go out and learn. Thank you. Thank you, Bobby. Thanks for having me.